another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. Funny marks. This is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, of your sunder and undone, shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to episode two of The Gathering Songs The Dark Crystal Discussions. This month is a continuation of the discussion of The Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 1, as this is Part 2 of the discussion. This episode was originally released as Episode 17 of Trial by Stone on the 13th of December 2015. If you're interested in being a part of the show, I am currently looking for guests for future episodes of The Gathering Songs. Just send me an email at darkcrystalpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast for early access to episodes and other rewards on offer. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone and this is episode 17 of the podcast for December 2015. This month is the conclusion of the discussion of the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 1. Again, yeah, last month when I uh, did the chat, it went for a lot longer than we anticipated, so I decided to split the shows up in two parts, so if you haven't listened to the previous episode of Trial by Stone, the first half of the discussion of Creation Myths Volume 1, I highly recommend you check that out uh, before listening to this one. So without further ado, let's go to the Podling Village and continue our discussion on the Dark Crystal Creation Myths. we get to the next um yeah short story about um how the gelfling made got her wings i guess it was um interesting with this story in particular that the wings were kind of like a creation through olgra and um wasn't a um a biological sort of evolutionary sort of process with the female gelflings um yeah just wanted to know yeah just your your, your thoughts on on that i look well, at to it me, as that a fairy was... tale yeah absolutely just sort yeah. of an origin myth yeah, no, I would agree with you, though. I, I think that it's, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that that we have that are just, you know, we have Grimm's fairy tales even or explanations of how we got fire from the Prometheus, you know, and stuff like that. I think that um, it's a nice it, tale. It's an kind. actual myth. It's one mm-hmm. of the creation myths. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I love the artwork at the beginning of this. Sorry. I, this The artwork, like the in the hardback book, there's no page numbers, but every now and then there's like a little symbol here and there. There's a little detail, a little creature. I I really like how this whole book, the artwork just kind of really lays out. They really go into detail. And I love this image of the female Gelfling maid with this little thing in her hair. It's like a little twisted kind of symbolic curl. (laughs) And then she has the hair wrap and it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. But see, this story was like also one of my favorite things about this book in terms of Agra. Like, 
it, you know, the movie, we get a, like, highly apathetic Agra, right? She's like, ah, oh, in, begin, all the same. Oh, you want a shard? Yeah, it's a shard. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I love the way she's, like, portrayed in the book. So, I mean, she's highly active, obviously. She's got her birth as well. But, like, uh, I'm maybe I'm a sucker for believing that it's true or I want to believe it's true. Like, the story of her, you know, stabbing these uh, these wings or these feathers into into this gelfling maid and, I, I think that was one of the parts I loved about it so much. Just the image it put in my head of Augra like being this active and like that's a you know a type of violence there, obviously. And uh, I just always thought that was such an interesting thing. But yeah, love love what they did with Augra in this book, just to get to see her like you know young and and spry, even though she may not look young and spry. Yeah. Well, the the story's kind of brutal too. Like in the sense of a true fairy tale, it gets really grim because yeah, she's basically absolutely. she's like her feet are bloody. She her tunic is all torn. Right. She she's blind. Mm-hmm. She can't gesture. Agra just grabs these feathers and just no <laughs> no warning at all. Just stabs them into her shoulders. Into a yeah. lifeless creature. It's, it's, yeah. It's brutal. <laughs> well, that's growing up for you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Thrawn. So then to a discussion about Gelfling wings, we didn't see <laughs> them in the in the early start of the book. They didn't have the wings. They couldn't reach the fruit. Mm-hmm. But somehow within their evolution, they developed wings. And then we have this fairy tale or myth of how Algra stabbed these feathers into the shoulders. So then in the Gelfling ruins, to bring that up, we see Gelflings with beards and wings. So did males at one point have wings or is that a representation like a ceremonial wings that a male priest sort is wearing or is it a female that's wearing a ceremonial beard or is it a representation of both sexes of Gelfling into one being? I, I should probably be excluded from this conversation. I'm working on, <laughs> I'm working on the canon of that actually. <laughs> so I'm just gonna step out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, because based on the text, it says you know, in time she met a mate and had a daughter with wings, who had her own daughter with wings on. But then it says when their sons took mates, their those daughters were born with wings as well. So right, it, it, it was. It's in the genetic code from then on, yeah. It's just, yeah, really interesting about that. And, yeah, hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll sort of get some answers from Joe with uh, Shadows of the Dark Crystal um, uh, in due time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I kind of think of this as, like, a, a religious type of interpretation. Like, I, this isn't, I don't really think that this is how Gelfings got their wings, in my opinion. Well, maybe this is how Thra biology works. Maybe Agra, convinced enough, can actually alter a certain um, uh, line she is like of a mother nature, biology. Yeah. Like, the, what about like, the Drenchens? You know, maybe the Drenchens said, we want to breathe underwater. <laughs> In they a wrote a letter. Kind of, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> that's Agra. just my interpretation. <laughs> no, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Like, I, I can totally see that. Like, maybe because she is of the world and is basically like mother nature, in a sense, maybe she has that power. And those are powers that aren't explained yet. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff that we hear about Agra, you know, we take to be true because she's actually walking around among them. But this one we consider a myth because it seems kind of, I guess, in comparison to a lot of the other stories in here, it just seems less believable somehow. But you never know. I mean, it's possible it could have happened that way. Or it's just a myth that 
hard to say on that one. Well, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it does start out as, you know, it's told around a campfire, so it could mm-hmm. have been changed. I, you know, this is my interpretation. I'll tell you my interpretation while you're helping me around the fire. Right, like at this point, yeah. The Gelfling know Agra very well. Would she not have told this story to all the Gelflings? Wouldn't they know this? And and the the storyteller even says, "Hey, you know, you know this story, you know that story. Here's my story." And it's right. different from all those stories. So, I I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I still think of it more even in a religious type of of sense uh, into a creation like a true myth and not really the reality of what it is because i think that if augur actually did that she the gelfling that would have been a known fact of the gelfling i would agree and i think like all stories can have multiple interpretations so well another thing is that augur would have witnessed the formation of the wings on the gelfling even if she didn't create them so if there was a question as to how they got their wings she would have had some sort of knowledge as to how they got their wings herself. Mm-hmm. But also if Agra is considered, so if we had never actually seen Agra's physical presence in the film, any mention of Agra could almost be interpreted as simply mother nature in any of these stories. And so this creation myth yes, could really yes. just be, uh, you know, like Blaine was or saying, um, that this is a creation myth. This is saying, you know, over time, female Gelfling had to, you know, things were difficult for them. They couldn't, whatever, reach things in trees and it was difficult. And then they grew wings because Agra, you know, but more saying, you know, this is a summary. It's a metaphor for for time and nature and evolution. If that happens on throughout, they've had plenty of time to go and through. And maybe they never, go ahead. Oh, no, that was, that was my thought. <laughs> Oh, I was I was just gonna say maybe they just haven't asked Agra that question, you know. Right. Maybe right. they never actually yes. directly said, "Hey, Agra, how did we get our wings?" Yeah. You know, even though they have all these tall tales of how how they may have gotten them, and nobody really knows, or no Gelfling knows how they got their wings. Mm-hmm. Maybe that mm-hmm. Agra was just like, "Well, you never asked me, so I never told you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it one it well, makes you uh, wonder how long uh, they've had them too. Um, it talks about him saying he heard the tale from his mother's mother's mother and uh, was and she was there to witness. Did they get the wings later or did they have them? Um, you know, it, it definitely is something that happened later that they didn't have at the beginning. Because we saw that at the beginning. But it's just one of those things that's kind of interesting. It's like, so if it was that recently, maybe, his, uh, maybe he did hear it from someone who was... Um, you know, oral history from someone who's there to witness, or it's just a myth. It's kind of hard to interpret yeah. that one. Like Augur is also kind of, well, if if the formation of the wings came about when Augur was distracted with her observatory and the the her yeah. knowledge of wanting to know more about the cosmos, maybe it was just a distant Gelfling clan that developed wings due to some kind of force or power from the crystal maybe or something and mm-hmm. so she didn't she didn't witness it herself anyway evolutionary wise and then it just kind of spread across the land and then maybe she was like oh hey look there's these Gelfling have wings unfortunately joe had to leave around this time so i just wanted to say thanks joe for being on the show 
If you want to find out more about him, you can check his website at joeyverse.com or you can uh, pre-order the Dark Crystal uh, young adult novel that's coming out soon called Shadows of the Dark Crystal. So check that out. And now we'll go back to continue the discussion. I like I like this image of of in gear with his um, how he's got the beard growing. He hasn't shaved in a while, like so. Now we know that Gelfling shave. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. we see the beards in the in the ruins, but you he kind of has like some growth growing on his face in that one image where he looks all surprised while he's hearing all the stories. I really like that story. I'm assuming the fruit was like a trap and he just happened to get out of harm's reach just in time before the big yeah, creature. Like, like, a, like a siren song, you know, like yeah. I felt like the creature is like feeding off of his energy or something in the way to keep him was to, you know, offer these lovely fruits or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like, a yeah. <laughs> so sort of I was kind of like an angler fish, but it's like out of water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what other, Maybe it tries to lure birds and things of that nature with the fruit. Because you wouldn't think that it would be luring sailing gelflings. So <laughs> I thought that was very interesting that it was um, yeah, yeah. on the back of the giant creature. And it started making me think about all the uh, interesting evolutions of the um, creatures within Thra. It's very interesting. I guess because, yeah, I mean, at, at this chapter, so like the story seems like it's going to a di- whole different direction you know focusing on, on another different character like it's interesting yeah just to sort of see um i guess water or you know this the the sea sort of been represented in you know in the world of the dark crystal since you know in the films all we see is land essentially so i have to say this because this just threw me when i saw it that village is exactly has how i envisioned it when i wrote my story the domed uh, structures and all that stuff. I was like, it's my village. <laughs> love, I love the Sifa clan. This this story is also presented as as not one of the little interlude type myths. Like this is this isn't a story of Agra and Ranip. This is its own kind of little tale. So I guess you know in this part of the story, um, Gia he's um out to try and find his song far far and wide to um to try and track down this song, and then he sees um you know comes across the the creatures and well he he's drawn to all kinds of songs and he's kind of like a song collector and he's just really interested in all that and it's almost like he's trying to find his song, but it's come to find out it's it's not actually his song. Yeah, like each creature had a song, and each song has a in each song a story in in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Again, I just I just find it kind of neat just seeing yeah, just a different side of Thra. Um, you know what lies beyond the seas and 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 all that. And um, well, one of the more interesting points I thought you made, uh, Philip, and again in our kind of our preparation for this was in one of his visions as he's sitting on this you know island of uh, fruits and whatnot is that he had a vision of Kragle, you know, kind of to segue into the next part of the story or if we want to but uh, I, <clears throat> I I just thought that was really yeah. interesting that he would even have that vision like and I wanted to know what you all thought about that here's the thing for a little while there I was thinking that um, even though I don't he would probably have to be hundreds of years old for a while there I was thinking that he might have been the one telling the stories 
since he was a collector of stories, even though this is his story, he could tell it like it wasn't. You know, like this could be his in a third um, person. His little backstory, like yeah. Um, here I am, the storyteller, and I'm telling you the story. And here's a story about this storyteller, and uh, it might be me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it might sound a little silly, but it just the fact. I don't that think that sounds silly at all. Stories, and they were saying that he was, you know, knew all of these songs, um, you know, told grand tales and things of that nature. And it even says he talks about he of the adventures of the hero Jarajin, which is the next chapter. Yeah, absolutely, and that's yeah the next sort of part of the um yeah the, the short story, which I think is probably one one of my favorite um short story, the Jarajin and the Horn of Thunder. It was this kind of story that yeah I, I just really enjoyed reading, and I kind of like that little twist uh, towards the end how um he ends up um using the tools to defeat Kregel. Well, one of the things I so, wanted to ask you all, too, like, oh, sorry. That's okay. I was going to ask, does anybody else think that this is really good foreshadowing? Jarajin and, you know, going against this oppressive ruler and the fact that the main character in the in the Dark Crystal movie is named Jin. I thought yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, that I, it's I, almost I possible yeah. it could be a reincarnation or something like that. Can, can we go back for just a second? What what was what was this song that was in the sea? Is it is this does he see the Erskek as a vision, or is there an Erskek that's trapped under the water? Like, I, does anyone have? No, no I think he's I think he's I've, looking up into the sky, as I understand it. And the Erskeks yeah. calling out to their homeland. This is one of their times that they're trying to make contact. As later in the book, it says, you know, we can barely oh, okay. Okay. hear them anymore. Yeah. You know. I see. I see. No, that totally makes sense. I didn't. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. And I was just looking at the symbols that are sort of coming out from the Erskek as well. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's like part of song notes or that's their their way of communicating to their home world, because that kind of goes right. in later on. Yeah. All right. So mm-hmm. my question to you all was, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not the only one that saw this, because if we're all as big Henson uh, nerds as I assume we are, like this uh, story almost was like, and I love. That's why so much of this kept the Henson um, spirit for me. Is like this is the storyteller, and this is the heartless giant. Y'all remember that story um, mm. where the young, uh, yeah. where he goes along, yeah, he, helps the, he helps the fish, he helps the bird, mm-hmm. and then he he feeds the fox's horse, and they oh, all three yes, play yes. a role in helping them get the heart of the giant. I was just like, well, it's uh, why not recycle it? It's a beautiful story. Nice, yeah, I see that now. Yeah. Ah, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I definitely really need it uh, to check that. Yeah, check that out. That's for certain. Yeah, I have heard about it. Um, like of the storyteller. Yeah, haven't got around to watching those um stories or you know the episodes and um and all that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well worth it. Yeah, well worth it. All right, cool. Well, I like how I like how the moon gives him his umbra. Did it's like the umbra is the <laughs> darkest part of a shadow. <laughs> Right. And and he kind of like puts all the pieces of this throne. It was like kind of like a Mary Poppins bag, like just puts them all within this shadow and carry you know throws it to the other side of the room. I thought again not to reference not to reference a storyteller, but in the Soldier and the Death, he has a bag that can capture anything he wants to capture. Oh yes, to tell yes. To get in there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Same thing there. That's how he traps death. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, we never mentioned that Gear has a double flute. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted yeah. to point that out. Yeah, so it's like there's lots of different instruments, and and Jarajan has the the horn. Well, and it's interesting because like you know, Jin didn't yeah, get that from his parents. You know, like right. Was this something the mystics held on to, and they were like, "You're gonna need this one day, kid." Like it's just kind of part of your heritage. Like, but then if Gear is the storyteller, when is the storyteller telling the story? That's a good is, question. Is that flute the one that Jen is carrying, or is that mm. just part of the culture at that point? You're you saying know? is that flute itself been handed down, kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thought. It's a good thought. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Yeah, we get to chapter five, and and this is yeah when it mentions. Um, I think we briefly spoke about this uh, about every nine years that um, Olga um, embarks on on a journey, sort of a journey within herself, and um, I, I guess it's just making I know just making sure that the the world is running fine and that everything you know towards each other is all good. And uh, yeah, and I just. Um, just having a look. Um, yeah, just make, yeah, basically making sure that everything is going right with the world. I like the imagery in the book. Do you think it's book. kind of a form of meditation, or do you think she... Is it kind of self-reflection meditation there, planning for the future? Well, I don't know. I think it's just her way of checking up on the whole world without actually having to travel along the surface. Yeah. I think it's yeah. her way of... Inter, it's her intermingling. She kind of... The wind is her breath, and... She just kind of checks well, up and I on love everything. That, yeah, I love that image too. I mean, obviously in the book we get like, you literally see her unraveling, you know, and becoming back to where she once walked out of the swamp, you know, becoming the creature again that she was. And and then you get the outline of it. And then I don't know if you're all looking at the book with me, but in that next page you get the outline of the stars and the heavens basically. And then you see some of those roots and things on the outlines. It's like she encompasses everything. So I just love that imagery they gave us. Yeah, it is really striking. It is, yeah, and I just noticed, like, just on on um, Olga, I don't know if that looks like a like a mushroom that's sort of near her uh, right horn. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> which I think, that's yeah, hard. just like one of those one of those little details. Yeah, you, you know. We also have another another image of a land strider, and then mm-hmm. this is the first image of a podling that we see. Podlings, yeah. Oh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that, that page with the, like you're saying, with the Landstrider, really, there's like a lot of summary in there that's happening that you can't even really catch it all as you look at it. Did she do this during the the darkened area when the crystal was cracked and the world was somewhat poisoned in a sense? Hmm. I don't know. I'm just like, I kind of felt like that she didn't yeah. do it. Um, you would think it would affect her in some way. Yeah, like with, with the um, crack of the crystal sort of, broke her in a way um in that i mean if the crystal created olga in a sense and i guess if the crystal being cracked then a part of her is sort of cracked you know you know broken like maybe maybe she regard. lost yeah. that power like maybe she could i definitely <laughs> think she got weaker when that happened because in the movie they actually managed to you know capture her and in the end of this book it's like you know she shows this great just amount of power over the world and I don't think that the uh, Skeksis would have her in a cage if she ha- if she was still the same yeah. strength as she was that, that in would book. that would explain her her yeah that would explain how she's not as active in the film because it's see that's where I only have the the little bit of different take on it is like 
I just see her as like allowing things to happen, right? Like I've always felt like with her being Mother Thra, that, you know, she's always had the ability to kind of do what she wants when she wants. And and the fact that she lets them, you know, capture, I don't know, like she just seems like a, but, but I think you're right. She's very, seems very much so apathetic in the film and just kind of at a point where like, ah, forget it. It's all screwed up now. Like it, it doesn't matter. But I don't know. I just always felt like she's allowing that stuff to kind of happen. But that's just me. I just well, she could like just she know got, that it's going to happen. It got yeah. so bad, you know, that it that at that point there wasn't much that she could do because she is, despite the fact she seems apathetic, she is helping Jen. You know, true, true. Yeah, I don't think she's given up hope. I think she just she knows everything's going to kind of pan out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she knows that she she can't be the one to fix it. So I think she's sort of disengaged a little bit. But yeah, I think that the crystal being cracked definitely would have affected her abilities in the world. Do y'all think she feels guilty for not doing more? Or do you think she feels like somewhat responsible since she didn't see it coming, quote unquote? Right, because at this point, well, in the film, yeah, yeah, in the film, she would already know, you know, what what, um, her son knows about the Mm -hmm. Mm Urzgags. Because, I mean, they've already split apart at this point. Yeah. She would know their true crime and all that. Right. I just wonder if, like, she took it on personally. You know, like, I was so blinded by their, you know, radiance and whatnot that I, oh, I yeah. couldn't see the, the other, the other half of them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I could have prevented this, and instead, I was like full witness and totally right. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that's like why she holes up in her observatory. You know, she's like the old lady on the hill. You know, nobody goes to that house. Yeah. They definitely seem to have lost knowledge of who she was too because jen's mm-hmm. sitting here going up there and being like who is this augura is she you know going to eat me <laughs> does she murder right Gelflings? but he was right. also you know isolated true yeah for years and years and years it's kind of odd the um Ur- uru didn't say anything about it though you know mm-hmm. that they didn't mention all well they are the good half of the Urskek. Yeah. So maybe in a sense they didn't really want to divulge that information. Or maybe it was a way of protecting him even more until the time was right. It could be. I love this image here of the Gelfling playing with the the little paddle game with the right. three sons. It's like a little okay. paddle ball game with three sons. I thought that was kind of neat. There's so a lot of now the the film itself, right. is it would we consider the film as being the reality that we see on Thra of the healing of the crystal? Or is that a, a mythological story? I mean, what? obviously, here on Earth, it is a mythological story. It's a, you know, <laughs> it's not real. What? What? <laughs> but on Thra itself, is that the reality of Thra in the sense of the story? Or is that mythology being told? I mean, I think it's real. I mean, I, yeah. to me, anyway. I mean, yeah, you could say it's mythological in a sense, I guess, but or, or metaphorical of a healing. But, yeah, I mean, I take it as, as real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So then to go back on the Urskex developing this Ori um, mm-hmm. with the concept of it being a distraction, what about the location as well? Because we hear about this maiden's journey to get to Agra and it pretty much cripples her and she's all bloody. It's like such sharp rocks that she has to climb to even get to Agra. So in that sense, was that a way of keeping the creatures of of Thra away from Algra so that right, they couldn't that really she could 
keep contact Did with she her? could empower them and give them more knowledge. They, right, the right. Earthscax built it. They did it in a way that makes it hard to traverse kind of thing. Right. Maybe. And Quite then that journey for Jen must have been under... Treacherous. Interpreted mm-hmm. in the movie is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It, it might have been the stone could have weathered by then, though. I mean, maybe back when that's true the, too. That's that whole true. thing happened, you know, might have been a lot more sharp and treacherous. But this is kind of a good segue into the book we're on, though, with like the Erskex and where they're now we're getting a, you know, a look at their inner circle with Ronit showing up on the scene and kind of sneaking in there. So what did y'all think about that first conversation with them, though? Three lunar cycles. Right. That is mm-hmm. how long the Erskex have been on Thra. So mm-hmm. how long is three lunar cycles on Thra? <laughs> yeah, I was trying. I mean, it's got to be hundreds of years, centuries. I mean, it even says that centuries have passed. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, like 300 years. I don't know, like, yeah, because, I mean, it's definitely not a thousand because, I mean, the second conjunction hasn't happened yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. So are there three conjunctions in total yeah so i think the, the, yeah so the first one was when the Erskex appeared was the the arrival of the Erskex. and then the yeah, second yeah. one was when um uh, the crystal they try to pure, purify, pur- purify, themselves. purify themselves and didn't work out and then the third one would be um with jen yeah restoring so we have another triple <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 again everything works in threes <laughs> Lots of three uh, lunar cycles. Yeah. Symbology <laughs> with the number three. Yeah, I actually, um, I was just, I uh, just even reading like, you know, do the other fifteen feel this way? Again, that's that's in threes. <laughs> um, well, there's yeah, because there's three of them plus, in the group. Yeah, well, plus fifteen three the, plus the three having the conversation. Yeah, having the conversation. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so basically, yeah, they're trying to communicate with um with their world and that they're just not getting anything. Um, but they sort of have fate be able to work out a way to um to return back to their world yeah and that's uh you know rona decides you know he's heard this bit of this conversation and he wants to um you know he's decided that he's heard enough and, and he wondered um why why they left why the the star beings of uh, the earth kicks left the world and he thought well the only way he could really find out is going to the crystal essentially i'm curious if, yeah you know if he actually um touched the crystal or whether he was sort of close enough to sort of you know putting his hand near the crystal to sort of have this um you know this vision of the Erskex so the revelation that when they entered the crystal that wasn't you know by choice but by force um or as criminals so to speak yeah which is like kind of interesting and actually I'm just looking at this image and um this does look like it's from um, their home world because, uh, like, you see, you know, a lot of the Erskex and you got the crystal and the, their own crystal in the center with a bunch of other, I guess, rocks or I would presume there'd be other crystals sort of uh, down below as well. Yeah, which is sort of like, like their first look of, you know, seeing what Thra, uh, not Thra, their home world is like. So I just, I just thought it was just interesting. Yeah, that was the first time, you know, get a visual, almost a visual representation of their um, home world. It's well, interesting we, we, to see that it's almost a, a whole world of crystals, and uh, it makes you wonder these almost ghost-like or angel-like creatures. What were what kind of world would they come from? Well, I kind of and think of it as as the 
castle is made of lesser crystals around the great crystal, the the crystal itself. So when they sing, they kind of form the castle from the lesser crystals that are kind of around the the crystal, the main crystal. And so I kind of yeah. think of this as just a the crystal on their world, but just not within a big crystal palace. It just has mm -hmm. lesser crystals underneath it. Like not See, not that their world is necessarily all crystalline crystalline. And there's even more than I mean, just barely, if you really count like background Erskex, there's more than eighteen in this picture. So to me it felt like, okay, this is the courtroom, right? They've just been sentenced yeah. and now they're being asked to leave, you know, whatever it is. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just uh counting up how many there was. I think there's um nineteen. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm seeing 19 in that. Um, well, you actually in, see yeah. an Erskag going into the crystal. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so like they all go one by one. Um, and I kind of wondered about that too. Like they enter the crystal, they don't actually enter the beam of light. Yeah, because like, because in, in the film, like at the end of the Dark Crystal, they all kind of go Swirl into together. the crystal at the same at the same time. So yeah, it's it's just very interesting that it's almost like a yeah like a portal, uh, you know, a stargate. <laughs> um, yeah, just to to go through. Yeah, I always thought of the Urskex as the reason why they were banished from their homeworld is because that they had an impurity, and that impurity was their shadow, their darkness, yeah. and that that's why they were sent to Thra because everyone else on the world was so pure. Well, that's not actually the case. In this story, mm -hmm. it's to be a true Erskek is to actually master your darker side. Yeah. And they yeah. wanted to purify their own world. They wanted to get rid of all that darkness. And that's why they were shunned away. And that's what they're doing on Thra. They're actually trying to help and purify. They always say, we're here to help. We're here to, we're bringers of light, you know. Mm -hmm. And and then here they are. They've lost contact with their home world, and they're they're like, okay, I guess if we want to go back, we're gonna have to get a little dark. You know, they've shunned us Thanks. so much that we cannot hear them anymore. And the only way that they're gonna re accept us back is for us to give in and be like everyone else and embrace the, our dark side. <laughs> it seems like they were trying to find balance within themselves too. As a, as a race, that was something that they tried to achieve. I thought maybe they didn't, they weren't, they had maybe an off balance to begin with or something like that. And maybe that was part of the reason they were sent. Like maybe the home world had gotten too dark? Yeah, and... something like that. But then we find out why they actually were, right? I mean, so all that's, it's, an, and I'm with you on the thoughts. I think that's where my head usually normally was on that. And then they said heresy, right? So, like, heresy in and of itself is that you disagree with the ideals of, you know, whatever the organization is or your culture or whatever it right, might be. Right. So, it's like, do they, do they, you know, categorically disagree with the idea of becoming a balanced creature? Like, that's where my head went on that. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it is an interesting thought of what exactly that heresy yeah. would mean. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think it's something, like, I think with this um, Erskix backstory that I could see it easily, like, you know, developed, you know, have its own kind of story um just to just to really get more in depth of the Erskex. yeah i just find them very yeah just very fascinating and just yeah you know we get you know some hints of of their story but 
I feel like there's more than meets the eye, essentially. There's one of my favorite shots in this, and, and I, maybe there's not meant to be a lot of comedy in this book, I don't know, but like when they catch Ronip looking at the crystal, and like one of the first things they say to him is like, you're curious, hey, where's your mother? <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought like, that was funny, we, too. We don't want to mm-hmm. deal with Ronip. We, we know where this is headed. Where's August? And, uh, she likes us. And yeah. obviously he's been there for centuries himself. I mean, he was there right. to witness their arrival as well. So it's like, right. do you really still address him as this young boy? <laughs> right. Where is your mother? <laughs> Go to your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Ronip's yeah. trying to touch the crystal again. Get him yeah. out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're grounded. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and so I guess, um, yeah, uh, Ronop then you know tells the Gulflings, um, you know, the his accusations against the Erskeks that you know that, that they're criminals and that we got to do something about it. And yeah, I mean, like, uh, Ronop was able to sort of you know tell them the story, and and so sort of the Gulflings sort of you know they sort of end up believing his story and sort of you know to follow through through him to sort of in a way you know. I wouldn't say like fight against the Eskics, but you know, just you know, find out what you know what's really going on. I mean, he convinced them enough to throw some rocks at them. You know, that's a good start. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I find that was I thought that was one of the most interesting things about Ronip for me is like um, he's like pure passion. You know, it's like and that can get twisted. That has doubts and fears and whatnot, and but he's so passionate for the truth. You know, what the what is the capital T truth of these Eskics and. Um, but he also seemed very convincing. You know, he's able to rally the troops and, mm. you know, he's got this great like, uh, you know, what is the light and heart of Thra, the crystal? Who's the eye and hand of Thra, Agra? Okay. Who is the voice and memory of Thra, yeah. Agra? Agra? It's yeah. like, let's go into battle. Yeah. You know, it was great. Yeah. I thought it I'll was interesting. Say... He looks okay. darker at the end, though. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe there's almost something more sinister to him. I, it like might maybe... have been my interpretation, well, his... but he just looks different somehow well maybe this is just me speculating again but maybe that has something to do with his power like he can see their darkness and his the, the you know the shadow within them and maybe that kind of has an influence on him and how he reacts to it like a, an actual physical kind of in, internal well, now he has other people that believe with him, you know, in the disbelief of the Erskeks. And so maybe it just kind of comes full force and we see it, you know, even in his, like you said, his physicality. I, I, like, I, I guess I uh, just thinking about with the Erskeks, whether they're, um, I mean, they're not, because they're, they're, they're pretty much made out of light. So I just thought about, you know, even if a stone would hit them, it probably would have gone through them, essentially. I don't know, just just your thoughts, like whether they're, you know, actual physical entities or they're just like just made out of pure light. I think they are physical entities just because of the fact that even though they don't necessarily uh, have to, they actually do stop the stones. Right. Because you can see them hovering in front of them. I I thought this was, I thought this was a little much in my opinion. Like I was, I was surprised one of them didn't have a pitchfork in their hand. Like. (laughs) Throwing, you know, they have well, torches, they're throwing stones. I was like, where's the pitchfork? Well, I was kind of with you on that plan to a degree there because on the shot of the earth kicks and all the stones on the front, very Neo moment. No. Yeah. Right, right. 
Well, it, it well, doesn't even look Agra, like, like very many of the Gelflings followed him. From what yeah, I'm looking at, yeah, it doesn't at. seem like a ton. It's like he yeah. just got like a handful of them, and right, yeah, it does. It's just, just that way, just enough to be a rebellious child, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, to try and stand up. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking how many. I mean, based on the illustrations, I mean, well, I think there's at least three Gelflings. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And then sort of Olga comes in to save the day and sort of you know stops this this little war battle <laughs> between uh between Ronep and the Erskex. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well you have the one in the feet in the foreground, so they're the yeah, four Gelfling and Ronep and it's like they're all gonna mm. take on these eighteen Erskek with stones. It was yeah. <laughs> mm. Augur Augur comes in there like the war hero. No right, right. Now. <laughs> I have the power to control roots. <laughs> right. <Stop. laughs> Everyone, i you know, I'll show you, and I will show you, and you will be sorry someday. Yeah, that was one of the more beautiful moments for me in this ending. It's like, man, like, such a, and maybe I'm just a dramatic guy myself, but such a yearning. I think, like, Ronip really has a sincere desire to want to show Agra the things that she's just not seeing, but for whatever reason, it's just not, it's not happening, and he just feels like it's not going to happen. Like, and I, like, so when he says, and you will be sorry, like, I don't see that as like him saying, like, oh, you're going to be sorry. You know, you got what's coming to you, but I think he feels like you're actually literally going to be sad when yeah, you find out what, what's it. happening here. And it's just so touching to me. But I like this image with the split of her, the two panels, and it splits her face. Yeah. Have you all seen that? I really like that. And it's like her tunic is different on each in each panel. Well, and that's such a great even you know metaphor for what's happening within her, right? Right, one right. One side of her can see, when the other side can't. You know. It's well, and then you have the splitting of the Erskex. There's that symbology. Absolutely, yeah. You get that imagery all, all throughout. Man. But then you, thing. it also kind of goes into a metaphor of Algra as being the representation of religion, whereas Ronip is the re- representation of science, mm. in a way. Does that sure. make sense? Maybe. Like, yeah, he's... yeah, she's she's blindly accepting what's been given to her, and he's saying, "Well, why do we believe what we're believing here?" Faith and fact, yeah, faith and fact yeah. would be a better absolutely. Better. And so the story goes, you know, ends with the storyteller, and um, yeah, it says, "Yeah, we've reached the end of the telling, but not the end of the tale." So, um, <laughs> a nice way to sort of yeah to be continued. Yeah. The worst three words. Three words. It's, it's all coming <laughs> together. So yeah. why couldn't Agra see the Erskex darkness? Thus, like she couldn't see their shadow within them. Is that because Ronip kind of has this X-ray vision, and even and though the the, the Erskex, in a sense, are kind of transparent. I think that it does go back to the um, origin of Ronip, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like somehow he has this power. But later. It's is it possible that maybe she would have had that power if she had her other eye? Like maybe she lost part of her visions and her abilities when she lost that eye. I mean, that's my thought. I wondered. I wondered if the Erskicks weren't intentional about it. But that's maybe just, they you know, weren't. Oh, oh no! That I'm totally that on you with a, that. They that intentionally burnt her eye so she couldn't see their shadow. Right. That, That's that was uh, my. Yes, I mean, it's metaphorical yes, because like you that. can't see, you know, the imagery. But I thought maybe there was something. Be like, if they're coming to this planet, they already know 
there's a mother thra, you know, like, yeah, so I don't know. That's true. Just, that's what I wonder. Yeah, that, I, I really like that interpretation. And they, that, that they, they wouldn't know if they that. would be welcome. So I could see yeah. that. Yeah, because I mean, she was literally blinded by their light. So I guess maybe she can't see their shadow because of that. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's nice. I like that. And then it would seem like it would seem like they're being kind by healing her, but in fact they were blinding her. Right. Well, I love that part. They're like, "Oh, that we could not mend. We got everything else, but uh, the eye, you see, was just yeah. we couldn't fix that part, unfortunately." But onward we go. I, I really yeah. like all this because uh, I was so hesitant at first. Like I haven't read any of the new literature on the Dark Crystal. <laughs> And here I'm, yeah, you know, I'm I'm almost forty, so I don't know what everyone ages here, but I well, I just I'm really like, you, though, like how the, the film went. for me. Like I'm a purist for the film, right? Like to me, that was the life changing experience I had with the movie. And so when these books came out, I was like, ah, I don't. I'm skeptical of any sequel of anything that ever happens to any good movie. And so when I read these, though, man, I was really impressed with how they captured oh. the spirit of, of Henson. It was just a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, I love what they've done with it. I really do. It's very interesting. It puts a whole new spin on watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I you really feel like a deeper connection, yeah. And, but then it also makes you wonder why is Ron not in the film? I, I mean, know. I know he's a later concept, but there's, there's got... There, the, I mean, obviously, they're going to fill in that gap somewhere at some point. Yeah. I would think. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think, like, with, with this first volume, what I really liked about it was it was essentially, like, almost like, a in a way, like a Bible. You know, you got to know almost, you know, almost everything about Thry, you know, from the beginnings and up to the um, bit after the first conjunction and that. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's just very insightful and uh, very interesting to, to get to know more of the world um because in, in in film you don't really get to you know you, you get to see things and stuff but and the story is pretty you know straightforward about jen needing to heal the crystal but um yeah i mean i, I think that's and that's the other thing where with the comics or with graphic novels um you get a really good um you know a visual uh representation of things um which is one thing i'm sort of really curious um i guess you know because the dark crystal is such a visual film or you know the world of it is such a visual telling I guess what it must be like, yeah, you know, trying to write, um, you know, the stories and trying to have visual representations of things and like that. And, um, and that's the thing I'm actually looking forward to, uh, with Joe's, um, uh, shadows of the dark crystal is that, um, some of the, you know, that it's going to have illustrations in the book. So, which is going to be pretty neat, very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, we'll start, uh, so, so Bland, how, how can people, uh, find you? Oh, um, well, I guess the, my Twitter, my personal Twitter is Blandarella because I'm a Barbarella fan, but it's B-L-A-N-D-A-R-E-L-L-A. And then on Facebook, Bland Garrett. Um, and then, you know, and, and like I wanted to say, it was really nice to, you know, finally talk with all of you because I know, I think I pretty much know all of you from the Facebook um, dream fasting page and the, you know, the Dark Crystal page. So it was nice to finally meet you all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Nice meeting you guys. But uh, I like I know I still don't have control of habitabad.com. Um hopefully I can regain the domain when it becomes available if it becomes available 
so and I'm still locked out of the Twitter for that but and what about yourself uh, uh, Douglas um, where, where can people find you well I do uh, I'm on Facebook or anything else but you can find me on my um, Facebook page at facebook.com slash fish rocks music uh, I do some music I sing a bit and write so that's where you can find me no unfortunately no professional dark crystal pages but uh, if you look look me up under Douglas Benjamin Fisher on Facebook you will see it prevalent. So there you go. And, uh, and what about yourself? I'm Andrea. How can people find you? Um, well, I'm on uh, Facebook under Andrea Judy, and I'm on pretty much every social network um, under the name Judy Black Cloud. So uh, people can find me pretty easily through that. And uh, and, and yourself, um, Ethan, uh, where can people uh, yeah find you? Oh, just, uh, just on the DreamFest uh, Facebook group. You know, just go on there, scroll through it, and I'll probably have thrown some nonsense on there sometime. <laughs> and eventually, yeah, shadowhouse5.com. Yeah, yeah. So um, is there a release date for when you're planning to, to launch um, Shadowhouse 5, the website, or? I'm, I'm shooting for March, uh, early March. Uh, I'm trying to give myself a lot of time because I wanted to be awesome. I wanted to be... I wanted to blow away everybody, so I'm I'm taking my time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fair enough. And um, so how how can people find you, uh, Nancy? I'm on Facebook under writer Nancy Gray. Also, I have a uh, blog at uh, Nancy Gray slash blogspot dot com. Well, dot dot blogspot dot com. Sorry. But yeah, just, again, just want to say yeah, thanks to everyone for participating in this uh, roundtable discussion. And um, absolutely, yeah, I sure appreciate it. This yeah. has been amazing for me. Yes. Yeah. This, the this the, the start time was good. Thank you. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls. The crystal If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. To find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod. The podcast is now on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast, you can check out some of the rewards that we'll have on offer for anyone that can pledge to the podcast. It'll be greatly appreciated. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'll be fantastic as well, as that'll boost the rankings. Thank you all so much, and come back next month for more Trial by Stone.